Hey, what's happening? It's Brett Romberg coming at you here from Miami. It's the Out the Huddle podcast. Let's get right into it. I got a couple different topics I want to touch on today. Not so much Canes, though. You know, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the fact that we're playing Bethune Cookman or why. Let's let's go ahead through this pronunciation because I know this is like a big deal to a lot of people. Is it Bethune? Is it Bethune? Either or, either way, they're going to lose, right? That's the situation with Bethune-Cookman. I want to tell you a little bit about the upcoming game. I want to break down the Tar Heel game slightly, just a little bit. I also want to get into what Manny Diaz is talking about nowadays. Uh, It seems like the focus is a little bit different from what it's been in the past over here at the University of Miami. And then on top of that, I want to touch on A.B., his current situation, the latest and greatest news that are coming out about A.B. and his accusations in civil court that ironically happened on the day that he signs his deal with New England Patriots. Lastly is a topic that I feel is going to grow. Uh, I feel that this thing's going to get a little gasoline poured on it because the more and more reporters that continually get the opinion or the insight to current athletes, former athletes, about a particular topic that's kind of been swept under the rug, uh, but brought to light by Ben Watson, former tight end for the New England Patriots, and something that really sparked an interest to me, this whole thing about black athletes, African Americans attending predominantly white universities and the compensation factor, and why not make some of the historic black universities that much better. That one is something that I'm really intrigued to find out a lot about. Um, I'm going to ask a couple different people's opinions as well. I want to talk to Vilma. I want to talk to Edgerin James. I want to get into it with those guys a little bit. Uh, Both predominantly known for Uh, Life after football, being very successful, creating businesses, being entrepreneurs, and and ultimately being like a staple in their community. So both Edgerin and Jonathan Vilma, I want to go ahead and ask a couple questions too about that later on. But let's get into it right now with the upcoming game this Saturday against Bethune-Cookman, who last year, they were 7-5. The only thing that I'm kind of concerned about, kind of, is the running game. They've been kind of known to be... Uh, not too bad on the ground. They ended up rushing for 2,400s last year. Uh, they got a decent wide receiver, a guy by the name of Jimmy Robinson. He uh, He's pretty decent along with Kishan Bird and uh, more so in the special teams category. So if special teams is one of the areas that we have not really been focusing on and for the most part, uh, kicking game has been has been functioning pretty poorly, especially after last weekend. But uh, but if we're not on our P's and Q's athletically, Bethune-Cookman has some pretty decent athletes on that team. A lot of them, again, from South Florida coming out of our own backyard, which is a subject that I want to touch on with Manny Diaz later on. But Jimmy Robinson and Kashawn Bird, uh, he's one of their running backs. They got some kick return action going on, man. Kashawn Bird ended up getting a touchdown last year on a kickoff return, uh, and Jimmy Robinson ended up getting three of those last year. Uh, a lot better than what we've been seeing lately in the special teams game. So we better be on point entering this Saturday's game, or we might be embarrassed on kickoff return. Nobody wants to give up one of those. It's a shot in the arm. It's a shot between the legs. Perfectly frank, it's a giant kick in the balls. So I know how Manny is, and I know that they're operating and trying to dot every I and cross every T when they're over there practicing and correcting mistakes this week. This week's practicing predominantly focusing on themselves. Uh, I talked to a lot of guys over there. I've been over there. 
Uh, they're not really too concerned of what Bethune has to offer. It's more of those guys trying to correct the mistakes that they had. And then, obviously, they need to start expanding their playbook a little bit. We saw a small sample size. Now that our quarterback is getting better, and do I believe that we got the next quarterback at the University of Miami? I know we got a small sample size, man, but like, let's be perfectly honest. This is the most excited I've been about our quarterback situation in a very, very long time. Like, I know Akaya was pretty good, man. I know he's got some records at the school. But true freshman, being able to contribute, being able to perform the way that he did – he played very, very well, man. I don't know what game you guys were watching, but but to me, I thought he played very well, held up his part of the bargain. Jaron got those guys in the red zone seven out of 11 possessions. I know, obviously, we run the football as well, but think about it. Out of the 11 times that the University of Miami had that football in the game on Saturday night, we got in the red zone seven of those times. Number 15 went 30 for 39. He threw over 300 yards, got 309 exactly. He balled out, and then our running game wasn't horrible either, if you really think about it, man. Number 13, my guy, the guy that's our Mr. Consistent, probably our basically our, our offensive leader, if you really want to get into it. He ran for 107 yards. He got over a buck, did a really good job. Um, I want to get into that game particularly. Bethune-Cookman, like I said, they don't deserve much conversation, so I'm not going to give them much conversation. Pardon me for being an asshole, but that's just the way I feel. Ultimately, they've lost to every single FBS program uh, that they played against. If you think about it, FAU, University of North Texas, Nebraska, and UM, and the averages of those games, 44 to 11. Yes, you heard me. 44 to 11. They give up a bunch of yards. They get toasted at defensive back. But don't forget, it's a different animal when you're getting a lot of the kids coming out of South Florida, electing to go to Bethune-Cookman and getting a chance to come back home and perform in front of their family and their friends. I'm not going to say it's going to be a game, but, uh, but you're going to be getting you know, the, 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 the old school coming to Miami is like playing in the Super Bowl for these guys. So you know they got a chance to redeem themselves, show themselves off in front of their hometown, so look for that game to be uh, uh, a good season opener at home for us if you want to go ahead and go tailgate and have a great time. That's basically how the way I feel about that. So over the weekend, we had our 25-28 to 28 loss to the Tar Heels. My God, how do I want to start with this one? 17-3 in the first quarter is probably uh, where I want to start off. We had four minutes left in that first quarter, and we were down 17-3. But this is where I want to focus a little bit more. A field goal, a six-yard touchdown pass to Osborne. We're back into the game, ladies and gentlemen. Like, we're going into halftime, 17-13. A total different turnaround. Ten points unanswered. I'm excited. I'm really excited. We're almost at 100 yards rushing. Like I said, Dallas had 55 at that time. Harris had 41. It was a good going into half boost. Yes, we were down. I get it. But we had 10 points. We're getting momentum. We're in, a, we're in an away stadium in front of a sold-out crowd. Was it hostile? No. It's the Carolinas, let's be honest. But, but for real, we're on the road. We're in a hostile environment. We just had 10 unanswered points, and we're going into the tunnel with motivation, with experience now of being down and climbing back up through the mud. Third quarter starts off. 
UNC had a 10-play drive resulting in a field goal. So now they're up 20-13. to 13. Then UM gets a 75-yard touchdown. Beautiful, beautiful plays. Great drive. Extra point blocked. Holy shit, extra point blocked. Very, very, very negative to the mindset. You just go 75 yards. You do what you have to do in order to get six goddamn points. And then you hit a freaking wall by missing an extra point, getting it blocked, getting it tipped. I don't care. You don't miss extra points. It's a ridiculous thing. It's a freaking excuse. It causes guys football games. So please practice your extra points, Mr. Kicker. I don't even want to talk about kickers because you know how I feel about kickers. So here we go. 29-19, right? Then UM responds again with an eight-play, 68-yard drive capped off by Mallory's touchdown. Beautiful. So now we're up 25-20. to 20. The reason why is because we went for a two-point conversion, which shit the bed. So now we're 25-20, right? Okay, no big deal. Fourth quarter. Here we go. Fourth and 17. It's the same shit that everybody talked about the very next day. Fourth and 17, we gave up the convert for the freaking North Carolina Tar Heels. Yeah, I know. I know, man. Fourth and 17, playing cushion, either getting beat by a double move, giving so much goddamn separation. I don't know whatever the excuse was. Defensive end pinched inside. Our coverage sucked. A lot of the times when we were trying to run blitzes, the other guys weren't on the same page, so we're getting a pinch in defensive end when nobody's covering the guy or we're dropping guys back. Whatever the call was, nobody was on the same page for the call. That's where you get the results. You get one guy getting meet with a double move early on in the game, which made their quarterback look like an all-star. I told you. Aha. Aha. Taste the soup. Taste the soup. I told you about this quarterback, man. I told you. ACC Rookie of the Year, man. Everybody's been talking about it. Looked real good, didn't he? Putting balls in the bread basket. Rate on beautiful stride. He had a good night. I'm not going to lie to you. That quarterback kid's pretty nice. He's got a lot of years ahead of him. Very similar to our guy. I want this. Trust me. I'm high. I'm a man. Number 15. Getting better every single weekend. Do I like him tweeting out a picture or sending out on social media a picture of an award that he got after the team lost? Nah. That's like that everybody gets a trophy mentality. I'm not into it, to be perfectly honest with you. Sorry. Hold up a trophy or a plaque or a ball after you win and you throw a game-winning touchdown pass or you thump a team. I'm not too concerned with getting a goddamn plaque with my name on it after a loss. That's the generation that we're dealing with, and I don't want to be that guy right now. I want to keep continuing on with the North Carolina shit. So, 4th and 17, we give that conversion up. Then it lets up to touchdown pass with a two-point conversion, and then boom. That's the situation. That's the end of the game. We're trying to kick a field goal at the end of the game, and no, it doesn't work out too well. So here's my theory. Too many red zone trips resulting in shit or three. Do you want to hang the kicker? Do you want to hang him up? Do you want to go ahead and beat the hell out of him? Do you want to send him death threats on this answering machine, on his phone, on his voicemails? I'm not into all that crap, man. You know, the kid's a kid. He's young. It is what it is. He's going to miss field goals throughout his career. Are they detrimental to the game? Yeah. Are we going to get extra points blocked? I hopefully, hopefully we don't. But, again, too many long drives. Don't leave it up to the goddamn kicker. Finish. Finish your drives. Seven out of 11 trips to the red zone. Only coming up with 
25 points. It's disgraceful. You should at least be in the high 30s, man. At least think about it. Every single time you're getting to the red zone, coming away with either three or seven. You want to split hairs? Say you get three or four touchdowns, 28 points. Say you get two trips with a field goal. You're in the 30s, man. You're at like mid-30s at that point in time. 25 points is not enough for me. But that's the way that that game ended up finishing off. If you really want to be ironic with it, that game finished off the same way that we played for the most part. We weren't able to close out the drives. We weren't able to finish in the red zone. That's how I feel, to be perfectly honest. And if you really want to get into it with me right now, I'm not saying I'm losing hope. Never thought the day I'd hear it old Ray Gibson done give up hope, just to quote life. But tell him, Ray. Come on, Ray. Tell him, Ray. Old Ray Gibson didn't give up no hope. The reason being is because I'm starting to have the Denny Green philosophy here with the University of Miami. Everybody knows about the Denny Green philosophy, right? Crown them. They are who they thought they are. You know what I mean? It's like one of those situations. What do you think the University of Miami football team is right now at this point in time? 2019 going into week three or week four for that matter because of the bye week of the college season, whatever it is. It's their third game on their schedule. What were you, what were you expecting right now from the University of Miami? Me being a former player and part of that 2001 team, I keep looking at these guys through my goggles of 2001, 2000, 2002. That's my jaded opinion. Is it frustrating as hell for me? You better believe it. But it's like, it's like your, your expectations. And, and, and this is, again, this is a fine line that I'm walking, especially with the Miami fan base. But what are your realistic expectations about the University of Miami? Were you expecting them to go ahead and compete against Clemson this year? Were you expecting them to be the Alabamas of college football? Were you expecting to be in the top 10 echelon of collegiate football this year? We came off a 7-6 and six season, man. We got nothing but freshmen and sophomore playing for us right now. Other than our stud linebackers, you know what I mean? Like, like let's be honest. Like, let's call it what it is right now. We are getting better week in and week out. If you were to tell me now, week three, we had a quarterback playing at a high caliber, throwing for over 300 yards, being efficient with his passes, not giving up the football as a freshman, would you be happy right now? Would you be happy with the current situation right now at quarterback, not knowing who our goddamn quarterback was even two weeks into camp this year? Praying for the Tate Martell to be your starting quarterback. Give me a goddamn break. Some guy coming from Ohio State who couldn't even sniff the field over there has his teammates giggling and laughing when he got put on third team. You know what I mean? Like that, That's where I'm at right now. We were praying for a guy who couldn't cut it at the University of Ohio State who's getting laughed at by former teammates for leaving to go to greener pastures and become the starter somewhere else. I told you, brother, him and Kiki Paso, bro, peaking at 21, son. I don't know what it is, bro, but quarterback situation I'm good with. I'm good. I hope these guys keep pushing each other and Jaron keeps striving to be better. But I'm good at QB right now. We're good. Trust me. We are good. Now it's time for him to go ahead and sit in Dan Enos' living room, sleep next to him on a cot, 
drive in to work with him and learn his offense like the goddamn back of his hand and he could perform it and orchestrate it, putting it up there like he's doing a goddamn beautiful performance. Symphonic. That's what I need, man. I need him to start pointing and yelling and barking at fools the way that Tom, the way that Peyton. I know I'm expecting a lot. Trust me, I just put him in the in the top echelon of the top quarterbacks to ever play the goddamn game. But that's what I want. I I expect that. Like that that that's where my jaded opinion comes in. That's where my 2001 eyes are deceiving me. Like if you really want to get into it, three quarters to possibly seven eighths of this team wouldn't even see the field back in 2001. There, I said it. I said it. It's all about perspective, men. I just spoke to an NFL scout, right? A director of scouting on an NFL organization who came down here, scouted the University of Miami, scouted FAU, and scouted FIU. And you know what he told me? Do you know what the hell he told me? I didn't notice a difference. I did not notice a difference. No drop-off when he went to FIU. No drop-off when he went to FAU. Do you understand what I'm telling you right now? Do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talent-wise, athleticism-wise, we are on the same scale according to NFL scouts as FIU and FAU. I'm not going to spell it out for you, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what we're looking for. I don't know what you're expecting and hoping, but just enjoy your Saturdays. Bring a bunch of friends, have a couple cocktails, maybe shotgun a beer or two, because you're not exactly going to Hard Rock Stadium to watch mistake-free football. You're not going to see Devin Esther. You're not going to see Andre Johnson. You're not going to see Edgerin James. You're not going to see Ken Dorsey hooking up with Jeremy Shockey or Vilma or Antrell Roll or Sean Taylor or Reggie Wayne or Santana Moss. The electricity. You need to bring the electricity. Don't look for the kids to bring the damn electricity. Make them feed off of you, not the other way around. So I look forward to seeing everybody there this weekend on Saturday. You know, it's Bethune-Cookman. It is what it is. But God damn, man, this is your first tailgate situation going on at Hard Rock. It's your first Canes tailgate of 2019. Rep, show up. I know Dime's going to be there. DJ Dime Life. Make sure you guys show up and show up in droves. And I'm telling you right now, whoever wants to go ahead and get crazy with it, go get crazy with it, man. Show support for your school, your university, your institution. I saw an image of what happened on Florida State two minutes prior to kickoff. I swear to God, although I laughed and, and giggled a little bit, that's embarrassing, man. Tallahassee, that's embarrassing. An organization that prided themselves. There ain't, there ain't, trust me, there ain't shit to do in Tallahassee on a Saturday. Buddy's reading novels with his shirt off last year. This year, there was probably no bullshit, 20,000 plus. 20,000 plus. We can't have nothing like that, man. You know that's what the haters are going to do. They're going to bring out their cameras and show images of what's going on. Probably take the picture at halftime when everybody's going to get a cocktail or take a whiz. That's how it's going to be, man. There's always going to be that situation here. But show up. Represent and cheer for your team. That's all I'm saying. So let's get into it with the Manny Diaz situation here. Manny's trying to change things up at the University of Miami, but, but in a good way. Not necessarily the way that the players are doing things. But I'm talking about the thing that we've all been barking about. The pride 
of University of Miami. The, the you on the helmet, how this should mean something to you to wear that damn thing, how this school should mean something to you, and how nobody should be leaving to go elsewhere. Manny Diaz is making a statement. Manny Diaz went on local radio show down here talking about once you commit to UM, no other school visits. That's balls, man. Balls. December 20th is, I believe, the first signing day, and that lasts for a few days, and then you got another one in February. But if you want to commit to the University of Miami, why, why bother taking a visit anywhere else? You should want to be here. If you don't, there's 130 other schools, Manny said. I get it. Miami might not be for everybody, but you should want to be here. So once you commit to UM, no other school visits. Manny's talking about it's got to be personal. It's got to be personal to me. It's got to be personal to you, to our staff. Not tolerating people disrespecting the U and not disrespecting their hometown team. That's special, man. That's special. Whether you're a fan, whether you're a student, whether you're a former player, don't disrespect the U. And it's, it's hard. Like, it's hard. We're emotionally invested in this program. I'm physically, emotionally invested in this program. Do I want success for this program? You goddamn right. You goddamn right I do. But I know, I know if it's got to heal, it's got to hurt. That's the problem. In order for this program to heal, it's got to hurt first. I believe the hurting is done. I believe the focus, the recruiting, that's going to pick up. I'm not going to name any names. I'm not going to put any coaches underneath the bus. But some of the coaches that were on this staff last year didn't recruit shit. No pun intended. I'm not talking about the players that are over at the school right now. But they didn't recruit shit. They didn't go out of their way to do certain things. Like back in the day, do you know that Arthur Kehoe, Arthur Francis Joseph Kehoe III, do you know that like after games where we would play against Temple or we would play against Rutgers, do you know that he would stay and rent a car and drive throughout New Jersey or drive throughout the Philadelphia area for hours on end after coaching a goddamn football game, drive to sit on some kid's front porch, drive to go ahead and sit in a kid's living room and meet their parents and recruit the hell out of everybody. He came to Canada to find me, right? Canada. All the way up into Canada. Coaches nowadays... Mario Cristobal, year in, year out, number one recruiter in the country. Can you explain to me how the hell Oregon keeps plucking guys from Miami all the way to the top left-hand side of the map? Can you explain to me how guys are going to the California borders, going to Portland, going to Texas, going to Ohio? Why are they leaving paradise here? You know what I mean? What is going wrong that guys aren't committing here, home, make the crib great again? You hear it all the time, man. We preach it. Make the crib great again. So Manny's putting that new focus, man. He needs it personal to his staff. He needs it personal to his players. Once you commit to UM, no other school visits. And if you take another school visit, that means you don't want to go to the University of Miami. Plain and simple. What do you want to do? You want to put on Instagram and Snapchat what you look like in another goddamn uniform? Grow the fuck up. You want to see how cute you look in another goddamn uniform? Grow the fuck up. See how many likes you get on social media? Worrying about looking successful instead of being successful. How about that shit? Focus on being better and not what color goddamn visor you're going to be wearing so it matches your uniform.
There's just something that disgusts me about what the situation is about decommitting and transferring and quitting in the face of adversity. And because I'm riding second, like, are you serious right now? You know how quick you can get into a football game from some guy's stupid blown ankle or dislocated finger? Take your lumps and bruises, man. Wait in line like everybody else. And if somebody's complacent and just being a fat cat and content that they're the starter now, steal that son of a bitch's position. Do something great. Make them notice you during the weekend practice. I'm so tired of the freaking lackadaisical attitude, man. So what do I want for my football program? What do you want as a fan for your football program? You need a dose of reality. You ain't getting Clemson. You ain't getting the Alabamas of the world. That's what we look like in 2001. Pull off the 2001 beer goggles and look for the 2019 sunshades, man. They're the super thick frame ones. You know the shit that was ugly and corny back in 2001? We were looking through Oakleys, man. You put on a pair of Oakleys now, you'll be laughed out of the building. Put on the thick preppy frames that you don't even need a prescription for and look through the 2019 fucking glasses and figure out what team you're with right now. Grow with the team. This is a stock option opportunity. This is releasing your secondary stock option is what I'm getting at, not secondary through the football field. But this is a secondary note, man. This is your opportunity to get in at ground level and go north and ride the wave that is about to come to the University of Miami. We are nowhere near talented what we used to be. Nowhere near. But the sooner that we realize that and maybe get a couple tough guys that want to beat the shit out of each other and basically do it on all heart and none, not much so, so much of the talent. You know what I mean? The whole, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog mentality. That's what I want, man. The talent and, and that kind of thing is going to come. Once you get some dogs in the street on this team, that, that talent will arrive, trust me. But just be good at what you're doing now. Don't settle. Don't settle. If somebody's being lazy, don't settle, man. Pick that dude up and make him work, especially if he's talented. There might be a couple kids on this team that, that, that might have some pretty decent talent, like draftable talent. But, you know, part, part of those guys is like just expecting to get drafted in a couple years, and that's it. Like, Navon Donaldson, brother, I love you, man. You look like shit against the Tar Heels on fucking Saturday night. You look like shit. You looked out of shape. You looked fat. You looked slow. You looked like you didn't prepare well enough. You're supposed to be the leader of that offensive line, not sophomore Corey Gaynor. You, 55, you need to be leading. And leading by example, plain and simple. Don't look to anybody else to go ahead and lean this team. You lead the goddamn team. Stop waiting for somebody else to do something great. You do it. You better have a goddamn good week of practices. I'm, I'm talking to him like I'm a goddamn coach right now. But holy shit, man, was I worked up watching him play. He looked like shit. He looked like a pig on ice, not able to slow down or break down when he's trying to pull and adjust because he's overweight. He can't move well because he's over. He's 25 pounds overweight. Once his body gets moving, he can't slow down and change direction like he needed to do to avoid getting sacked or on those boot rights where Jaron is having to hurry up and throw the football because the defensive end is beating him off the end of the line of scrimmage. You know what play I'm talking about, man. It's still burnt into my mind. Got me all goddamn sweaty and worked up in here now. Let me get back to Manny Diaz. Once you commit to UM, no other school visits. That's it. You're hesitant? You on the fence about UM? You need to get your back rubbed? You want to see what you look like in the cute little uniform? Go to one of the other 129 other schools. Peace. Good luck. May God be with you. Arrivederci. Sayonara. Bon voyage. Salut. Skol.
whatever language you speak, have a great time. Come to the you because you want to be part of the you. You want to be part of the brotherhood. 19 decommits. They led the country. So imagine, you got a lot of guys calling up, a lot of kids. It's like marriages these days, you know? They never last. Everybody's getting goddamn divorced. Divorce rate going through the roof. 19 decommits from the University of Miami's last class. 19, leading the country. We're on pace to do the same goddamn thing. We already had 13 commits open their recruiting back up. That's for our 2020 class. My guess is probably some of that came after the Florida loss. You know what I say? Peace. Peace out. That's the way I feel about it. Open your recruiting class back up and go get in their uniform and go see how cute you look. I'm sorry, man. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm 100, 150% invested in what Manny Diaz is trying to convince people over here in South Florida. Make the crib great again. Make it mean something to you. Make it personal. Make it personal to your staff. Make it personal to every single person that walks around on that campus. Have some goddamn pride about your clan that you're with, your crew, your people, your fam, whatever you want to call it. I'm in, man. Congratulations, Manny. Thank you so much for, for finally saying something and doing something about what has been plaguing this university for a long time now. I'm 100% on board. And we all know about what's going on right now with this whole situation with A.B., right? It's like the circus in terms of the NFL and where he's going and how he's manipulating everything. Stephen A. is calling him a disgrace. But to be perfectly honest, A.B., local guy down here, is in some hot water right now because on the day that he signs his deal with the New England Patriots, his personal trainer takes him and charges him ultimately with sexual assault Getting into the details that have been presented to me, uh, AB ended up hiring this young lady to go ahead and be his personal trainer back in 2017. A couple of instances where she claims he had multiple sexual advances to her. She did not appreciate it. She wanted to break off the relationship with him in terms of the working relationship, the physical training of him. Time passed, A.B. goes back to her a year later and says that don't worry about it. This is not going to be happening anymore. Our relationship is going to be strictly professional. But then apparently A.B. on a day here in Miami ends up physically assaulting her and raping her, uh, putting her face down into a bed, holding her down while he allegedly raped her. And... Um, and she was crying and telling him to stop the whole time and pleading for him to stop doing what he was doing. Uh, AB has, has recently responded, um, claiming all allegations are false, countersuing her. Uh, now he's releasing videos, and he's at practice. He's been at practice all week long. Uh, the New England Patriots have announced that he's going to be wearing number one. Uh, he's out at practice toting around number one all day long. Um, Bill Belichick, Stone Cold Killer, is not answering any questions in press conferences about A.B., if they knew anything about these allegations. Um, this is so hot when it comes to where to dip my toe in the water that I am going to stay so goddamn far away from this one because, you know me, I, I don't like being politically correct. Um, 
Do I find it ironic on the day that he announced that he's signing a one-year $10 million deal with the New England Patriots that she decides to go ahead and release uh, her civil suit to the public? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do. Um, is it uh, disgusting for me to think that, uh, that it's that way? Um, you know what? I don't care if it's disgusting. I don't care if you like it. That's just the way my brain works. I apologize to those who, uh, who, who, who think it's atrocious that I feel that way. Um, but again, innocent until proven guilty. Um, his videos of him spending some really good quality time with this young lady, uh, clearly embracing her in a lot of these videos. I think AB and, uh, has, uh, has, has basically been dealing with a lot of shit this off season, basically self, uh, uh, brought upon himself, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, am I happy with the, the shenanigans that he ended up doing uh, aside from the sexual assault case? No. Uh, I thought that he's not handling himself. I think he's borderline nuts, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, the fact that Drew Rosenhaus, my former agent, is like participating in the whole helmet thing and helping him get his helmet back and being in the forefront of all this shit, I don't, I don't know, man. I just, it's just not a good look for me. Uh, not for him either, to be perfectly honest. He probably thinks that he's standing beside his client, but it just looks like he's aiding and abetting at this point in time, to be perfectly honest with you. So, you know, you got a lot of shenanigans, a lot of shit, a lot of manipulation and, 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 and hiring companies, social media companies, and finding ways to get terminated from positions and trying to go about it in certain ways. I just, you know what, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm, I'm not a giant AB fan. And, uh, and then now that this sexual allegation has come out, I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm probably even more or less of a fan, regardless of he's being victimized or not. Um, but obviously, he's putting himself in a in a bad situation with this young lady. But um, she's agreed to go ahead and meet with the NFL officials that she needs to meet with next week in order to go ahead and do their investigation. So until a little bit more comes out about this, I'm going to go ahead and do the Bill Belichick route and uh, and say until I know more, I'm not going to comment on anything. To be perfectly honest with you. So I'd like to go ahead and go past the A-B situation. And I want to go into something that's probably, for me, a little bit more controversial. And the reason being is because I think it affects a lot more than two people. And in one organization. Uh, it's this whole Jamel Hill article that came out. I know Luther Campbell is out there on social media telling a lot of people to read about it. I know tight end from the New England Patriots, Ben Watson, has been on different news platforms to speak about it. Uh, and that's how it was brought to my attention, to be perfectly honest. And um, I'm, I'm probably going to say some things that a lot of people aren't going to like. Uh, I'm going to say some things that a lot of people will like. And that's why I needed to go in and get, you know, other people's perspective on this. In particular, I wanted to get Jonathan Vilma's perspective. Vilman. I wanted to get Jonathan Vilma's perspective on this, along with Edger and James being uh, obviously not only black, uh, but, but more so... Uh, guys that are cemented into their communities and, and very, very interested in developing and preserving and adding to making their communities better, um, whether that's the black community, whether that's the area that they live in, um, 
I just think these guys are really good examples and role models to kind of look up to and to and to show as examples of what they're doing. So let me let me get into what basically what's been going on with this Jamel Hill article. She's been very controversial in the last year or two. Uh, I know she's been let go from certain positions because of her stance and her opinions on things. She's very outspoken, uh, which I like. Um, do I agree with a lot of the things that she's saying? No, I don't. But in this particular instance, I do. And the reason why is because growing up in a locker room and being part of football programs and organizations and seeing the amount of young African-American men display their abilities and their talents, for the most part, in the majority, far more superior to a lot of the other white dudes that I played with. Um, and again, we make jokes about it. We make light about it in, in NFL locker rooms and in meeting rooms all the time. Perfect example is when you get a scouting report of an opposing defense or an opposing offense, there's the token, which is the token white guy, which is usually the defensive end, who's a pretty good athlete, but he has a high motor. So that will soup, that would basically, you know, compensate for the lack of athletic ability, which predominantly a lot of the black athletes, if you want to go that route, have. Um, versus uh, the majority of the white athletes. Um, how often do you see amazing white running backs blowing up the scene? How often do you see amazing white wide receivers blowing up the scene? Shout out Braxton Berrios. If you think about it, and if you really dive into it, collegiate sports, and if you want a super, super hardcore fact, 55% of college football athletes, black. 56% of college basketball athletes, black. Yes. Going the other route, I'm not saying that 55% are white and 54% or sorry, 44% are white and, and 45% are white. I'm talking about glumping all of the other races, clumping them all together. You're getting the remainder of the percentages. So if you, if you just look on basketball and football alone with the NC2A, because that's where this article is basically geared towards, the title of the article, it's called, It's Time for Black Athletes to Leave White Colleges. You heard me correct. It's time for black athletes to leave white colleges. That's obviously a stunning article title to begin with. But the more you read about it, the more you dive into Jamel Hill's article, it's astonishing. Um, and it's something that we all know. Like, let's, let's be perfectly honest. Uh, when you're looking at a football field, unless you're watching Harvard or Yale or an Army-Navy or possibly even a Notre Dame game, the majority of the players, or Wisconsin if you want to go that route, the majority of the players that are on the field are black. It is what it is. Black athletes, man. The majority of the players that are lighting up your TVs on Sundays, on Thursdays, on Saturdays, on Monday Night Football, black athletes, man, for the most part, right? It's a multi-billion dollar business, but yet the wealth gap between or the disparity between white families and black families is massive, like massive, massive in terms of like white owned homes in America. You're dealing with, you know, 70% more when you're dealing with a, a, a wealth disparity in terms of a family's net worth. White families are 10 times more wealthy than black families, you know, like in, in terms of like driving revenue into these communities. This whole article article focuses on the percentages of black athletes that have done so many things 
at white colleges that have put fans in seats that have made businesses thrive because of their efforts, their workloads, their, their, their performances. When it comes to HBCUs, historic, historical black colleges or historical black colleges or universities, they only make up 3% of colleges throughout the United States. And when I tell you about colleges, I'm talking about four year program colleges or universities, only 3%, but yet 80% of the black judges in the countries come from HBCUs. 50% of the attorneys, 50% of the doctors, 40% of your engineers or your Congress members, for that matter, 40% of them are coming from the 3% historic black colleges or universities. The NC2A made $1.1 billion in revenue from the 2017 season. Mostly, the majority of that money was coming from the NC2A basketball tournament. And don't try to tell me right now that you're watching a bunch of white dudes hoop right now. Please, bro. Do not tell me that you're sitting there watching the tournament and you're seeing ten on ten, or five on five all white dudes, like the Christian Leitners of the world. Like, it ain't happening. The, 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 the white chocolate, it ain't happening, man. And right now, the NCAA signed a deal, $8.8 billion with the Turner Broadcast, Broadcast Group for till 2032. $8.8 billion deal, ultimately for the NC tournament. That's it. The NC2A tournament is garnering $8.8 billion until 2030, 2032. That's television rights. It, it, it's massive amounts of money. So what Jamel Hill is trying to do is say, let's stop making money for these predominantly white attended universities or white owned or private universities. Um, let's go ahead and make some money for the historical black colleges. And the reason being is because last year, the number one high school football recruit, Thibodeau, in the country ended up taking a visit over to FAMU. The reason why he wanted to do that was because he wanted to learn the history of FAMU. He ended up signing with Oregon. He's over there with Mario Cristobal at Oregon. Again, the number one recruit in high school, signing with Oregon. Why, he said, he signed with Oregon? He said, why would you want to eat McDonald's when you could have filet mignon? And a lot of that was because of the facilities that are at these historical black colleges. One of the biggest historical black colleges in the country, Grambling, right? Grambling's funding has been on a decline now for a long time. It's down 57% over time. Like facilities, football programs have folded because of the lack of funding. But yet the majority of sports, predominantly collegiate sports, they're, they're profiting predominantly off of what a lot of the African-American youth are doing on these television contracts. So the revenues that are being driven into certain communities, the CEOs, it's, it, it's crazy and, it, and it's staggering the amount of money. So I want to not sound stupid when I'm sitting here talking to you about a lot of this stuff. I'm on Jamel Hill's side. I'm on Ben Watson's side. I, I kind of, well, first of all, I understand their stance quite a bit. But could you imagine what would happen to the Penn States of the world, to the Alabamas of the world, to the University of Miami? Like, like in the article, when she cuts up N, uh, HBCU, she's actually using the University of Miami U cut out of a shirt 
or the B is from Alabama, uh, or the A was, I'm not sure what it was from, or Auburn or something like that. But, but they're directly speaking about our college. Like they're directly speaking about the U. They're directly talking to schools and institutions like Alabama or Clemson. Like, let, let's go off on Clemson. Clemson has won two national titles in the last three years. Predominantly, predominantly black athletes when you're talking about their starters or even their bench warmers for that matter. You know what I mean? And the amount of revenue that Clemson is generating year in and year out. So like they keep asking why, why do the black athletes want to attend the universities? And they're saying simply because one, it's massive crowds, televised, the ooh and ah factor, the the post-career, the drafting, the getting into the NFL, the getting into the NBA, um, the shoe deals, the lucrative marketing contracts. Um, those are much harder to come by when you're dealing with a historical black college. Like Alabama made $174 million last year. Their athletic department made $174 million. $174 million to the University of Alabama's athletic department. Just a few miles up the street, you know how much Prairie View made? 18. Could you imagine if those star-studded athletes that are at the University of Alabama or Clemson or Michigan or USC... Could you imagine if they elect to go to historical black colleges instead of attending universities that are predominantly attended by white people? Could you imagine what would happen? Man, like I, I think that this topic is, is going to get some legs, to be perfectly honest with you. I think a lot of people have, have either avoided this, haven't seen it yet, or, or don't want to get into it. But stay tuned, men and women. And youngins that are listening to this podcast, stay tuned because I think this thing's going to get some legs. This thing's, especially now with the platform, whether it was Colin Kaepernick starting something of, of raising awareness uh, and equality um, or, the, or, or the lack thereof, for that matter, um, with, with, with the African-American culture and, and police and, and that whole situation and, and racial profiling. And there's never been a bigger platform than right now for the athletes of the world, uh, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, whatever it is. But obviously, clearly, when you're dealing with basketball and football, you're leaning more towards the African-American community. And there's never been more opportunity, whether it's marketing, voice, um, sales, income, uh, lucrative marketing shoe deals. The platform has never been higher and bigger than right now. So if there ever will be or ever would be a movement to try to steer or generate more attendance, more funding, more awareness to historical black universities or colleges, now is the time. Now is the time where you're going to start hearing more and more about this, more voices of opinion. Um, you know, you get a lot of players that, that donate to the, to the colleges or universities that they attend to. The University of Miami gets a lot of money back from former players that have gone through the University of Miami that have donated money back to the programs, to the universities and to, and to the sports programs. Could you imagine if some of that money is donated to some of the historical black colleges? Could you imagine the facilities, how more attractive 
the facilities would be, how better the equipment would be, how many more eyes are going to be on historical black colleges, how many more games are going to be going to be played against historical black colleges or universities. It really is a sensitive and kind of taboo topic for a lot of people, uh, myself included. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm, I'm sitting here telling you right now, like, is it a comfortable topic for me? Probably not. Um, that's why I really do want to get somebody else's opinion. So feel free if you're, if you're, if you're listening to this right now, if you want to voice your opinion, if you have something to say, if you got positive or negative, put a comment, man, IG, Twitter, put a comment down. Let me know. Let me know if I'm overstepping my bounds. Let me know if I need to talk more about it. Let me know. That's why I want to reach out to some guys like Edger and James and, and, and Jonathan Vilma and get some real good, hardcore opinions of guys who, who are, are that good for role models and communities and have a voice that can change perceptions. So this is old Romberg, man, kind of shutting it down and cutting you off short right now, but, but that's kind of what I wanted to get into when it comes to that Jamel Hill article because it really did open my eyes. It, it, it was one of those things where normally I tend to just kind of skip over a lot of things like that, but um, it, it really did open my eyes, and especially some of the astonishing numbers and facts that we all kind of have in the back of our head that we know that are there, but when they're concrete and they're put in front of you, um, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty eye-opening. And, and a lot of her references in her article are, are very, very impressive. You know, it, it goes deep, man. It really does go deep. It talks about, however, how African-Americans are not stakeholders in predominantly white universities or corporations that profit from our talents. The system must be disrupted and redirected. The stream of wealth needs to change. Powerful words, man. Powerful words. So, this is old Roms coming at you live from Miami. It's out the huddle. It's the podcast. Kind of jumping around on a couple different topics today. I told you it's not always going to be about the University of Miami, although I did give you about a half an hour of how I feel. I gave you some other time about some real cool topics. Uh, the AB one, more to come, clearly, more to come. But, uh, but the Jamel Hill article, man, eye-opener, eye-opener. I think what we're going to do is I might put that tag it, tag the article on uh, on the Out the Huddle uh, social media pages so you might get take a look at it and kind of come up with your own opinion and see if I'm off base or see if I'm spot on. Talk to you guys later, man. Romberg out.